You're listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast, inspiring commentary and intelligent insight from experts in the thick of it. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to Forrester Technopolitics. I'm Mike Walter, Principal Analyst, and I'm here with Shri Sridharan. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Good. Why don't you uh, tell us your role here at Forrester? Absolutely. Um, hi, everyone. I'm an analyst uh, at, in the Customer Intelligence team which is a part of the marketing and strategy group at Forrester. And customer intelligence, that sounds like something everyone wants to know about. Yep. Uh, what exactly is customer intelligence? So customer intelligence is any intelligence that you can derive out of customer data. Oh, I thought it was customer. I thought you were talking about the customers who are intelligent. No. Okay. Uh, well, they are. Uh, they they are proving themselves to be more and more intelligent than marketers at this point. Wow. Okay. But... Um, Traditionally, customer intelligence is, you know, those professionals within organizations that manage customer data in the service of marketing. Um, so, you know, database marketers, direct marketers, um, CRM marketers who are essentially tasked with making sense of customer data. What, what kind of data is typical? Uh, that they, that people collect and use for customers. I mean, I can think, you know, I can think of the simplest possible data, like mm -hmm. name and address and purchase history. Is there more? Or is that the basics? Yeah, that's the basics, definitely. Uh, and that's always the starting point mm -hmm. for, from a campaign perspective. How do I contact you if you need to be contacted through email, through, you know, any channel that you'd prefer to be contacted through? Um, so that's the basic in terms of identification, identifiable customer data. But then, but then there's interaction data. What do you do on the website when you, you know, come and visit my brand website? Do you download a white paper? Do you leave a comment? Do you chat with someone um, from a customer service perspective? So interaction data. What do you do in across my various touch points? Um, it could be definitely transactional data. How much you buy? What you buy? when you buy, so that sort of data. And what, what sort of things are companies doing with this data? Um, at this point, um, you know, not very much. Uh, they, they start off with the basics of understanding at least how my marketing spend works, so how effectively am I spending my marketing dollars. What do you mean by that? Like they, if they're spending on a marketing campaign, yep. who am I reaching? Or uh, No, how, for the money that I'm spending, am I reaching the right people? I see. So, you know, for, let's say, I spend X amount on TV, Y amount on print, and a Z amount on, you know, direct marketing, the combination of those three, did, did it actually give me the customers that I wanted um, from a target market perspective? So did I get in customers who are who have the likelihood of being profitable customers in the future, or did I get in someone who's just going to, you know, buy from me once versus not be a, you know, a sustained sort of relationship? So that sounds like, that sounds like one use case where they're measuring the results of a campaign. Exactly. Like how, like you said, how effective the campaign is. Do they also use it to target customers as well? They do. So typically you start off with marketing measurement. So you measure where the campaigns work. And then, you know, based on what you're collecting from the campaigns, how customers reacted to the campaigns, you get interaction data. You get some sort of customer preference data, which you can use back to target. So, you know, if a customer has has mentioned that, hey, I, I like this type of content or I like, you know, three newsletters every week and I opt in for that type of messaging, that sort of data can be used for targeting purposes across email, across the web, even in a call center environment where someone picks up the phone. Oh, so an outbound campaign. All right. Because right. I was going to ask you, what types of campaigns are, are popular out there? Um, I mean, you mentioned a newsletter. 
I think of that as sort of an ancient style campaign. Is that true? Uh, um, or are those still effective? You'd be surprised. Email newsletters are still very popular with customers. Well, I know emails are popular because I get, I don't know, maybe several thousand per day. <laughs> and then I have to clear them out of my junk. And it's really, really annoying. And all of them are essentially about three topics. But we won't talk about that. Yeah, I mean, at least from a customer intelligence and direct marketing standpoint, you know, email is still the number mm-hmm. one um, sort of channel. Now, do one use. of the concerns that the marketers who use sort of these digital channels like email is the opt out, mm-hmm. uh, because once once someone opts out, they lose them, right? And and so may, is that one of the reasons behind understanding the right target and the effectiveness of the campaign? It is, and you know, in fact, I've had a few conversations where the people who opt out may tend to be your highest value customers, which is a dangerous situation to have. Yeah. Right. I mean, you you don't you want to be able to contact people that you're going to get a sustained, you know, um, revenue flow from. Um, and, and that's a dangerous situation to be in. And that's why the, the move from just understanding what channel work, worked, from understanding what, you know, the customer prefers, what the customer wants, what's the customer going to buy next, um, that's something that we encourage clients to think about. So just don't think about it in a campaign context. Don't think about, you know, whether my campaigns worked, but think about whether my customer segments are growing or my customer segments are shrinking, you know, th- those sorts of questions. What are the industries that use, in, in your estimation, use customer analytics um, in the best way? Um, definitely the data-rich industries, um, you know, financial services, within financial services, retail banking, um, you know, insurance. Uh, they have a lot of customer-level data to work with in the first place. Uh, outside of the financial services industry, retailers, for sure. CPG companies are big, beginning to get a little smarter about how they use customer data, even though they don't have a one-to-one relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're sort of bypassing the relationship they have with the retailer, uh, and the retailer has the direct relationship with their consumer. So they're bypassing that through you know, investing in digital properties where they have the opportunity to engage directly with customers. Mm-hmm. So CPG um, companies are also doing very innovative things with digital data. Um, at least from a customer data standpoint. And what do you mean by digital data? Um, you know, anything, any sort of digital interaction through, you know, either social channels or, or mobile apps or, you know, even through the brand website. Yeah, so you mean they... digital versus name and address transactions. Exactly. So other, other uh, and it could be unstructured or structured data. It could be. So, you know, uh, think about a situation where someone's interested in some kind of a recipe. You engage with the recipe, you download the recipe, you share it with friends. You know, that sort of digital engagement. Data. What about the big web properties? Um, you know, I think of Amazon.com as really understanding their customers. I mean, in terms of like the recommendation engine that they mm-hmm. provide and the <clears> personalization. <throat> but I also think of Google as as you know, using their customer data and maybe someone who's searching on the, on the Google search engine isn't a paying customer per se, but Google's certainly using that data, uh, uh, to, to target customers, right? With their ads. Right. And those are the specific examples we point to where, you know, Amazon and Google have, what, what they've done is they've almost consumerized the use of customer intelligence because mm. you're able to relate that, okay, so this is how they use my data because they give me product recommendations. In the same context, you would be able to relate, you know, if an agent offers you, let's say, uh, a checking account upgrade or something like that, you know, then you get to the context, oh, this is similar to what Amazon would do if I would do it online because they know what I've bought in the past. 
they know how much I, you know, what kind of business I'm doing with the bank. Um, so they're offering me a, a product that's going to be relevant for me. So it's almost, you know, I think Amazon and Google, Google have done uh, good service to the customer yeah. intelligence community yeah. by sort of at least making it relatable. I want to try to understand this customer intelligence professional. Now, here's my view. Mm-hmm. I picture a person sitting in front of an Excel spreadsheet and like churning through formulas and stuff. But come on, there must be some better technologies and better ways. Is is it still spreadsheet oriented to to do this? Or are there tools, services? Uh, what are the, what are the def- tools? Yeah, yeah, they're definitely relying on Excel a lot, but they're um, you know relying on more sophisticated mm-hmm. tools like predictive analytics mm-hmm. tools, data mining tools, to sort of take it a little further than what they can do with Excel. Uh, now, when you say customer intelligence professional, even within that, you have categories of mm. professionals, right? You have a, a technologist type of customer intelligence professional who is making decisions around what type of campaign technology to buy, what type of personalization technology to buy on the website. And then you have the practitioner who's designing campaigns, who's saying right. this makes sense the most, you know, during the fall season because, you know, this product is relevant at this time. And then you have the scientists that you were talking about, the marketing scientists, the analysts who's sitting in front of the Excel sheet, who's actually doing the Right. Uh, data crunching. But are they really using Excel quite a bit? Are there other tools? What are some of the other tools that use? Um, a lot of the predictive and data mining um, mm-hmm. tools, you know, SaaS-based programming yep. tools or even SPSS. Um, so a lot of those sort of predictive analytics tools, they are using those tools and they rely primarily on, um, I would say, channel-based tools. So let's say, you know, you ha- you're, you're a web property and you, you want to make sense of what's happening on your website, you use a web analytics tool like, you know, Adobe Omniture to understand right. the traffic that's coming to your website. So channel-based tools that are specific to the channel, um, but also give you intelligence on what's happening within that channel. And what, I mean, what do you think companies should be doing that they're not doing with this customer data? Can they get better at it? Um, they definitely, there's always scope for improvement. Yeah. Um, but, but the thing that, you know, I think um, I'm, inter- I'm interested in seeing is what are those newer use cases or what are those newer applications of customer data analysis? So we've heard a lot about, you know, how telecom companies use customer data to predict churn. We've heard a lot about how banks use um, product information to, you know, offer the next best product to a customer across channels. But beyond those uh, typical customer analysis use cases, what are, you know, how are people using, for example, text data in combination with with you know purchase data, for example, to make that predictive model even better. Mm-hmm. What so, type of text data are they incorporating? Um, right now, it's mostly in the call center voice transcript space. Um, but you know, when we say unstructured, uh, immediately you know there is a tendency to think social, but it's not just social, right? It's it's call center voice transcript data. It's a survey feedback data. So the customer satisfaction surveys that we fill out after every experience let's say you 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 know you had a trip to to new york um you flew an airline and then they send you a form and you you have a free text box where you say hey i really like the trip i you know i like the service those sorts of um nuggets of information are also useful because it can be attributed back to the customer i think i heard, i think i read a story in the wall street journal about ll bean mm-hmm. um doing text analytics on the customer reviews mm-hmm. Um, and, and trying to figure out, uh, I guess they call it opinion analysis. I mean, we've heard a lot about sentiment analysis as well. Right. So, so I mean, not, uh, my opinion is that, you know, it, it, these in isolation are great, but when combined with 
um, structured type of analysis, it can be even more enriching, right? So you can just analyze sentiment on text, but if, imagine if you could combine that with what they buy, where they were from a location perspective. So some sort of a location intelligence element uh, to it, where where did they buy, what was the path to purchase, you know, did they go to the suburbs and come back to the city, um, and then, you know, on the way did they comment uh, and review on their phone. So just the combination of, you know, dif these different types of data sources can be more useful. Yeah, I think that's this. that's all part of big data as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of a yes. lot of big data is the un the unstructured. I talked to a a healthcare company that was doing data mining on their you know their structured data like the billing and the procedures, but but they were trying to uh, mine the text in the uh, EMR, mm -hmm. uh, the the medical record as right. well to find out. Um, how they can avoid second hospital stays, for example. Right. Um, right. I mean, and, and, you know, again, text is something that, um, I would say the traditional modelers, uh, and analysts, um, are a little uncomfortable with because they've, you know, they, they've not been used to sort of working with those type of data sets, but it's only a matter of time so that the tools can catch up to that capability and the skills can catch up to that capability. And that intersection, I think, would be very powerful. Do you think we'll get to a point where we're not segmenting customers? Because a lot of the customer intelligence, uh, you want to segment customers into different categories. For uh, Do you think we'll get to more personalization, more personalized, a, camp a campaign of one, which I guess is sort of like an online ad server to some extent? Yeah, and, and I think firms are doing that to some extent where they're trying to micro-segment. So it's not a segment of 10 million customers, but within that, what are the differences in, in behavior? So, you know, the, the basic premise of segmentation is that they need to be heterogeneous among each other and homogeneous within. But if you have a group of 10 million customers, you cannot expect 10 million customers to be homogeneous mm -hmm. within that same group. So they are sort of getting to micro-segmentation more at the operational level. So if I were to activate a campaign in email, that's when I micro-segment. If I were to activate um, a campaign in, you know, um, the call center, that's when I micro-segment. So it depends on how they're operationalizing that Uber segmentation into into smaller segmentation. Right. And, and I guess uh, the same is true for churn, too. You can, you can get to a more granular level mm -hmm. uh, in the churn. And churn is, is you know... You always do hear that churn example. It's getting kind of boring, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It it's is. like, isn't there something other than churn? But you told me something that excited me a little bit about churn, that uh, you're getting a lot of calls from higher education, colleges yep. wanting to know if they can use this technology to see if students drop out. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very interesting application of churn, for example, you know, just to predict if, if students are going to drop out of a program. So similar examples, can we apply, can we apply it to industries that are not traditionally known for their analytical work, but, you know, they have the ability to capture data. So can it be used in a utilities context where, you know, um, you're collecting a lot of usage data there in terms of, you know, how you use your energy consumption? Can, I mean, it might not be a churn type of example, but can you use customer analytics applications in, in verticals or in, in situations where, where, you know, traditionally we don't see many of those. Examples. So I bet the government could use a lot of this, uh, technology too, with citizens as customers. And I'm sure they do. I think of the government, like the U.S. Census Bureau, is doing a lot of statistical analysis and counting. Right. Um, but they can probably do a lot more of this analytics. Does this apply to them as well? It does. And I've heard a few examples of crime detection, you know, local, um, police departments using predictive analytics in the area of crime, where essentially this is in the service of the citizens, 
but they're using crime data to, you know, identify pockets uh, of neighborhoods that could be, you know, subject to crime. Cool. And I, I guess I also want to cover how does mobile is mobile changing the amount of data we have about customers? Because I think of like locate GPS locations and just an increase in interaction. Are, are companies thinking about how that affects customer analytics? Yeah, um, they should be. But from the conversations that I've been having with CI professionals, I think uh, mobile is more still, uh, you know, perceived as a as a as a marketing tool versus a, 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 a source of intelligence or a source mm, interesting. of customer data. Yeah. It's more of, a, of an enablement tool to reach customers and engage with customers through mobile ads or mobile experiences, but not as a way to engage back with them with the intelligence through a mobile To context. get more data, yeah, because right. I know Forrester, we predict by 2016, there'll be a billion people using smartphones and tablets, and that's a, a, a pretty large uh, uh, population of mm -hmm. users, mm -hmm. and it's only going to increase. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what sort of uh, tools, um, in addition to mining and customer tools, do, do, do these uh, professionals use? Um, you know, going back to the marketing measurement context, you have tools like um, attribution tools, where, which essentially get to, um, you know, how do I attribute my revenue across channels? So let's take the online advertising space where a marketer is, you know, placing an ad through display media, through search, through affiliate marketing, through various online advertising methods, and they need a way to, you know, essentially attribute revenue to each of these channels. So there are attribution tools out there that help you do just that. So, you know, you have attribution tools, you have um, loyalty-based tools where um, you, um, organizations with large loyalty programs mm -hmm. collect a lot of data with their like loyalty the supermarket programs, or... the supermarkets, yeah. the airlines. Um, so a lot of data is generated through the loyalty card. So there, there's a whole ecosystem of. Do you have a keychain? Do you have a keychain with like 15 loyalty cards on it? Um, I have one, just my grocery store. I, I don't have any because I just can't. I'm brand agnostic. <laughs> I can't, I can't bear it. Um, there's just too many loyalty cards. It's, it's insane. It is. Yeah. I, but I know that, uh, Google Wallet actually has a way to put your loyalty cards on your phone. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that works. But. I think there are multiple apps like yeah. that that help you do that. Yeah. But from a data perspective, you know, there's an ecosystem of providers that help you make yeah. sense of the data that comes out of loyalty programs. Yeah, I'm just wondering specific. if there's like a, you know, a backlash in, in, in how much data that people will be willing to provide. Um, has that been a problem or is the data that people, that firms have, is it is it steadily increasing? They know more and more about customers. They know more and more about customers, but there's also a realization that they need to be more and more responsible about how they um, deal with customer data. Mm -hmm. So even, you know. Why? Why do they have to be more responsible? Is, or, is it customers um, I think there, are, there have been few examples, um, you know, where, where essentially they're sort of scared of how customers are, you know, sort of wary of how marketers use um, customer data. So in that context, you have to be responsible in terms of how you need to be contacting the customers, how many times, making sure they're sort of opting into most of the communications and and not using customer data in a in a creepy um, uh, way where where the customer becomes uncomfortable about, you know, hey, how did you know that about me? You know, even though you're using it from an analytics perspective, the customer might have given you three data points, but from an analytics perspective, you've extrapolated those three data points to five data points now because you know, you can apply all these cool analytical methods to 
predict what you're going to buy next. So just addressing that creepy factor is something that uh, they need to be conscious about. Yeah, that creepy factor, that that brings up uh, an example I heard here in Massachusetts where uh, they released some anonymized uh, health record data. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that example? <clears throat> yeah, I think that was one of the and then, large uh, hospitals. Some <clears throat> data, yeah, a large hospital. And then a data miner used some tools and they figured out to the person who it was and they sent that person's uh, information. You know who that person was? You. No, it wasn't me. It was uh, Governor Deval Patrick. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so it's a dangerous situation. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's interesting. I don't know if that's. I mean, I guess some people are going to think that's creepy, but um, some people might think it's a fact of life. It would be interesting, you know, maybe a, a younger generation. I'm not sure uh, where that's where that's headed. Cause yeah, and 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 we've done some research around that uh, as well. Our team. Uh, there's another analyst who's done research around that. And, you know, the, the, the issue there is more in terms of at some point will consumers want control of their own data where it's almost like, you know, a drive somewhere that they have access to and they give permission to marketers for access uh, of that information and get paid for it in return. So there are models, emerging models in terms of use of personal data from a consumer standpoint. So through your research and your um, constant conversations with these people, what What's the top thing they can do to get better? Like generically, how could these customer intelligence professionals, is there one or two things that they could do to really up their game in this? I think one thing is, you know, definitely um, is, first of all, knowing where you are uh, in terms of a benchmarking type of, uh, you know, thought process. So the, the assumption being that we're doing things in a certain way, but the moment you, you know, put it in context of, three competitors or even people in the outside of the industry, then it becomes a different uh, question. So s- sort of just assessing, having that self, self-awareness self in terms of where you are with the use of analytics tools, with the use, uh, with even building your analytics capability within your team. You know, how many people do you have to, uh, you know, even address these type of um, questions or even solve these type of problems? So having that self, self-awareness, self a little bit more of self-awareness mm-hmm. in terms of where they are, um, that, that would definitely help. Great. Thanks, Shri. And thanks, Mike. This was this was a great conversation. Good. You've been listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast. Read more about the technology fuel disruption and join the discussion at blogs.forrester.com.